Hey there, and welcome to the Sponsor Talk podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways in how brands interact with properties within sports, arts, film, music, you name it. Hi, everyone. Uh, today's guest on the Sponsor Talk podcast is Ari Mark. Um, so Ari just started this week as the Senior Vice President and Head of Partnership Development for the Drone Racing League the global professional drone racing property. He joins DRL from the NFL, where he led corporate partnerships for the Miami Dolphins um, and Hard Rock Stadium. And then before that, Aries spent eight years in global business development for the NBA, helping secure sponsorships from you know, the NBA to the WNBA to the G League, um, and then USA Basketball and NBA 2K. So we're very fortunate to have Ari as he starts his new role, join us on the podcast. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's great. Um, so I'd love to get started by just talking a little bit about your career and kind of seeing, you know, what led you to the role you're at now, but some of the steps that have come along the way with your career in sports business. Yeah, I think um, probably like a lot of, you know, kids, I you know, grew up a huge sports fan um, and dreamed about one day, you know, whether being an athlete myself or um, working in sports in some capacity. Um, unfortunately for me, the athletic side wasn't there, but um, I was lucky enough to find some opportunities to work in sports. Um, I really focused on kind of sports from an early age. All of my sort of internships in college were sports related. Uh, and I moved to New York right after I graduated from school, um, kind of on a mission to to find a role in sports and, um, you know, caught on originally with a, a media and talent agency uh, and then ultimately found my way over to the NBA. And where, where did you move from? So you moved to New York, but where was your hometown originally? So I'm, I'm from Miami originally. Um, and uh, I went to school in New Orleans at Tulane University. Oh, very cool. Um, so. I mean, like, it sounds like you've always kind of imagined of working in the sports space, like a lot of people like myself and, and a whole bunch of people that I, I'm starting to get to know, um, you, you realize pretty quickly that you, you're not going to make it as a professional athlete. So you, you pivot over to the business side, which is awesome. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you a quick story. Um, you know, I, so I graduated from school and, you know, I had some good internships in the sports space and really wanted to break in and, um, you know, like a lot of people, I, I looked at the, the job sites and, you know, to see what was out there. And there was a career fair at Madison Square Garden. Um, this is back in 2006, um, you know, find a job in sports. And so I, I took a one-way flight from Miami to New York. I crashed on my sister's couch. I put on, you know, the one suit I owned and uh, printed a hundred copies of my resume and, you know, marched over to, to MSG to, you know, find my job in sports. And mm -hmm. when I got there, the line to get into MSG was three blocks long. I was literally waiting outside for three blocks just to get in to, you know, drop my resume in a pile um, for, you know, every, every sports job you could think of. And, and I kind of realized right away, I'm not the only one interested in working with sports and it's going to take um, some perseverance and, and, you know, various paths to get to where I want to be in the sports space. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a story we can all kind of relate to, right? It's a very competitive landscape. So like from your perspective, when you were working at the NBA, you know, you grew from an account executive when you first started, and then um, you worked your way up in your eight years to a senior director title. So 
you know, was there any learnings from that in terms of what's critical or what's important for a successful career in sales on, on the sports side of the business? Yeah, I think, you know, we had almost sort of a, an apprenticeship program at the NBA when I was there. And, you know, I started as a, um, what I would call kind of a sales support role, um, you know, working towards finding leads and, and understanding brands and making points of connection for our senior leaders um, to kind of convert. And so I spent a lot of time prospecting. I spent a lot of time um, understanding who other sports leagues were working with. I spent a lot of time trying to see what, you know, challenger brands were emerging, um, writing the briefs, you know, when we had calls, taking copious notes and turning them into proposals, but, but really as sort of a background support role. Um, and after doing that for a couple of years, you know, sort of learned all of the critical skills to, you know, and, and had the confidence to where, you know, my leadership said, okay, you're ready. And, and now it's time for you to start doing this on your own. And so, um, you know, I, I started doing some smaller deals and, you know, after having some success was able to work my way up. And I think um, the, the fun part, but also the, you know, at times challenging part about sales is the scoreboard is very clear. So when, when you're being successful, um, it is easy to, to notice those wins. And, and when you're not, obviously it's e easy to notice that as well. And, you know, I was fortunate to work with an amazing group at the NBA and, you know, not only grow, but also, um, you know, help kind of continue that apprenticeship um, and, and look at some of the folks that I worked with, uh, you know, that were in a sales support role and now they're sales leaders themselves. So um, it was an incredible place to learn and grow for sure. Yeah. And, and I can totally relate to that. So I, I started off my career at the Pan Am Games in sponsorship sales, but it wasn't until we had an opportunity where I built enough sales decks and, and kind of did a lot of the support work that someone had given me the opportunity to go out and, and learn through trial and error all around the sales side of the business. So once that happens, you build the comfortability. And I think, um, you know, I can really relate to the story that you shared just now, because um, sometimes you just need that one break and to figure yourself out and then you keep going from there. Yeah. And I, I think it also helps as a leader too, when you, um, when you're managing people and you've, you know, you've been in the role that they're in and you can kind of understand it. I think it made me a better manager and leader when I could, um, you know, coach people on the mistakes that I made in the past or empathize with, um, you know, what a task looks like or, or the challenges of a project or explain it in a proper way. So um, again, had, had great leaders and a great group there and, you know, was able to, to really learn a lot. And, um, you know, I was at the NBA at an interesting time when we were transitioning from, you know, Commissioner Stern and, and the amazing um, success that he built to, you know, Adam Silver and, and everything that he's continued and, and obviously um, had incredible success there as well. Mm -hmm. And then, so your, your hometown is Miami, and then you moved over after the NBA to go to the Miami Dolphins corporate partnerships team. And then what's really cool is that you actually got to see a Super Bowl in Miami. Um, so can you tell us about that experience? You know, what's it like working for the home team, but also being in the host city of a Super Bowl um, you know, working on the partnership side. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it was certainly amazing for me as a Miami native, as someone that, you know, remembered going to um, what is now Hard Rock Stadium back when it was Joe Robbie Stadium. Um, to go to work there every day was, you know, always felt like a dream come true. Um, to see a Super Bowl played in, in the home stadium was, was amazing, although uh, I'll be more excited when the Dolphins are playing in the Super Bowl, um, whatever stadium that is. But, um, 
you know, it, 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 it is always interesting when you're working in your hometown, um, you know, being at, uh, you know, running around in a suit and tie at a, at a Dolphins game or during the Super Bowl and, you know, running into people I grew up with who are there with their family and friends watching the game was, was always an interesting challenge. Um, you know, the Super Bowl weekend, looking back on it now, it, it's almost surreal given what, you know, the world has been through the last six months or so um, to think about just the amount of people and events and parties and activities and obviously things that, you know, I, I miss dearly now and I'm sure many of us do. Um, but it was a, an incredible experience, really proud of it. Um, I will say there are certainly challenges of having a home game. Um, you know, the Friday night of Super Bowl weekend, we were out with clients. We, we hosted a, a big event ourselves and um, running around like crazy. Um, Saturday morning, my son had his first T-ball game at 8 a.m. And so I had to very quickly switch from kind of work mode to um, parent mode and back and forth. So um, I loved it, was proud of, you know, being a part of it. Um, but I think in the future, I, I don't always need it to be a home game because it's, it's not always easy to, to balance the two. Oh, totally. And like, I really relate to what you were saying earlier about all the things we've missed. So if you think about when the Super Bowl happened, and then when March came around, how much quickly changed. Um, you know, for me personally, I actually got a chance to go to Miami for my first Super Bowl. I only I didn't get to go to the game, but I stayed there for the weekend. And it was a production. And you see all of these things going on um, when it comes to events or corporate partner activations. And some of those elements, you, you forget how quickly, you know, what we've seen change in the last seven months, um, but hard to believe that was just February. Yeah. And, and, and I'll just add, I was really proud of kind of the city of Miami and, and Miami-Dade County and, and just South Florida as a whole. Um, you know, I think we put on an incredible show. The NFL does an amazing job in how they sort of transform a market and the Super Bowl host committee did a great job too. And, you know, as someone that grew up in South Florida, it was, it was, there was a lot of pride in seeing kind of the world descend upon our town and, and experience the event. And, um, you know, we got some great weather on Super Bowl Sunday, which was nice. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's a memory I'll always have. And, um, certainly even, um, you know, more bittersweet when you think of the lack of things like that we've had since. Yeah. And, and for anyone listening, I feel like in the future, when live events come back and we eventually get to, uh, all the things that we love and dear, um, you know, check out a Super Bowl because I, I, I had such a good experience. And, and I think like when you when you love events like like a lot of us do, um, that is the epitome of, of, you know, of the live event experience. Um, but let's let's talk about what you're doing now, because this is going to be a huge week for you. Um, you know, you were just announced to this new role as senior vice president and head of partnership development at the Drone Racing League. So so tell us about the move and, you know, what you're excited about with this role. Sure. Um, you know, to give you a little bit of background, the the kind of, uh, I guess, courtship process or what started, um, you know, Rachel Jacobson, who's the president of, of Drone Racing League, um, was the person that hired me at the NBA, um, you know, over a decade ago and, you know, was part of that um, apprenticeship experience and, and training that I, you know, I mentioned earlier. Um, and so when she came on board with the league, um, back in March, you know, we had some initial conversations to, you know, understand the league. Um, I gave her some thoughts on, you know, what building a sales team could look like and what the, the right candidate could look like. Um, and after a few months of dialogue, it, it kind of bubbled up that, you know, maybe that person was me. 
Um, and, you know, the notion of, you know, the two of us teaming up again and um, building on some of the success we had had previously. Um, and I think, you know, a, a lot of things attracted me to the role. One was just the global nature, um, you know, working for a league like the NBA um, with such a global fan base and events around the world um, was was exciting for me. And, and, you know, having an opportunity to get back to that was really exciting. But I think the most, you know, interesting thing was, this is a, an incredibly young property. It's really an incredibly young sport, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the, the league is five years old. The sport as a professional sport is five years old and um, it's on an incredible growth trajectory. And so, you know, I've been really fortunate to work for some of the most, you know, uh, established and popular leagues in the world and some of the most innovative leaders in the world and the chance to bring some of those experiences to um, you know, a league that is really still in its infancy and, and has a chance to grow into something much bigger was was really what excited me the most. Mm -hmm. And and for those of us that don't know too much, because it is a new league, it is a new property, um, and it's kind of, it's kind of at the intersection of sports, entertainment, and technology. But for those that don't really know anything about the drone racing league, can you give us a bit of an intro um, or the Coles notes on on the property? Yeah, um, you know, it's a global professional drone racing property. Um, it's, you know, it's it's first person view pilots. And what that means is the drones have cameras on them. So you actually, the pilots are flying them as if they are in the drone themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And it makes an incredible, you know, viewing experience for fans to kind of see the drones racing, you know, 90 miles per hour um, through that first person lens. Um, you know, the courses are um, incredibly high tech and kind of stunning the way they look. The drones are lit up with LED lights. So um, it's very easy to follow kind of, the, you know, which drone is which. Um, I was telling a story earlier, you know, I watched it with my four and a half year old and two and a half year old sons. And it was easy for them to say, you know, I'm rooting for the red one or I'm rooting for the green one. And then, of course, whichever one won the race is that's who they were, of course, rooting for the whole time. <laughs> um, but it's, it, it's a pretty accessible sport. Um, it's, you know, it's got, um, that high speed performance adrenaline junkie feel that you would get from motorsports. Um, but it also, you know, bridges that world to esports because you have the pilots that are actually flying the drones and, you know, they are characters in their own right, the way you would see kind of gamers and, you know, they all go by their, um, their handles versus their full names. And, you know, they have different personalities and looks. And um, so it, it does bridge the gap towards the, those esports in a very accessible kind of family friendly way. Um, and and it, so it's, I think, you know, we say all the time, it's a sport of the future, because I think if you were going to design a sport, you know, it's got the technology, it's got that you know, blend of both digital and real. And it's got that fast paced kind of high speed excitement that frankly, you know, the younger audiences these days are, are more willing to focus on something like that than, you know, a, a four hour sporting event. Mm -hmm. And, and can you tell us about like what the races are like when you watch them? So you talked about you, you watching them with your four and a half and two and a half year old. Um, you know, when, when you're sitting there watching and it's a first view point, like a, a viewpoint, like what, what is that like? It's fast. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to describe in the podcast form. So I definitely, um, you know, encourage any of your listeners to, you know, check out our website, check out our social handles um, because it's, you know, a, a, if a picture is worth a thousand words, a video is worth something. Um, 
but it's um, it's a very unique experience. It's um, you know the courses are set in these iconic locations, whether it's you know stadiums or arenas. Um, you know we've done races at Hard Rock Stadium, obviously that just hosted the Super Bowl, but also you know auto museums in in Munich and palaces in Europe, and um, you know that's a big part of what we do is is finding these iconic locations and setting up these exciting courses that kind of go you know, up, down, side to side at incredible angles um, at incredible speed. And it, it's designed to showcase the skill of these pilots. Um, and for anyone that's actually flown a drone to see what these, you know, individuals are capable of doing, it, it blows them away. Um, but I, I definitely encourage you to, to watch a race because it's, it's a lot easier to, to see it than it is to describe it. No, no doubt. I'm, I'm going to check out, um, I guess it's the world championships uh, coming up soon. So I'm going to certainly check out some races. Um, can like, obviously you're new to the role. Um, I, I'm trying to think of what your fan base is like. So I, I know that um, I'm sure there's a lot of research or a lot of things that you're going to find out as you continue to, to, to stay positioned in the role, but can you describe what you've seen so far from the fan base? Is it what you imagined and, um, I know it's a global property, but like, is there, there certain regions that you're targeting? Like, what, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely a younger audience. Um, you know, I think some, somewhere around three quarters of our fans are under the age of 35. Um, there's definitely an overlap to gaming. Um, you know, it's a lot of gamers, esports fans, a lot of people that are, um, you know, participating in gaming, um, as you would imagine, there's your, your drone enthusiasts, but um, it goes way beyond that. I think there's also, a, you know, a, a adrenaline junkies, right? People that like the high speed, that like the crashes, that like a Formula One or a Formula E um, are very interested in the property. And I think, you know, what in my brief time here so far, I think what has resonated the most with partners is there is not a huge overlap with the fans of kind of traditional stick and ball sports. I think um, only a small percentage of our fans are fans of kind of the top five, you know, U.S. sports leagues. And so what we're able to provide is this hard to reach audience um, that brands can't always get to. And I think, you know, Avish, as you know, and I'm sure any of your listeners know, you know, the power of sports as a, as a marketing vehicle and kind of that brand loyalty and engagement that comes from sports um, but this, but our audience is an audience that, you know, hasn't really been captured yet through sports. Um, and, and we're bringing that to the table. So I think that's where our partners and, you know, the prospective partners we're talking to are finding the most interest is saying, this is a harder to reach audience that we're not um, talking to with our current sports portfolio. And so this is, you know, a new and futuristic sport that's going to get us in front of them. Yeah. And, and I mentioned this earlier, I feel like it's such a cool inner section between entertainment and technology and sports that not many properties can can replicate and so when you talked about the nba and how innovative and technology driven they were uh, when you work there this is also very similar in the sense that it, it is very innovation based and technology based and the viewer base is young um it, it's it's a really unique property in the sense that brands that do want to engage with that fan base it's hard to pick other properties um, when, when I look at it from the, from an external perspective, um, you know, from, from my standpoint, there's, there's a lot of entertainment options, you know, um, we're, we're trying to talk about fan bases a little bit, but 
how does the DRL continue momentum off like, you know, what's been happening recently? So there's probably a lot more viewership that's coming on to the league um, as the new league continues to, to continue to grow. Um, you know, how are you retaining fans and people that are coming in and learning about the sport for the first time? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the advantages of being a younger league is we are a bit more flexible and a bit more nimble. Um, and so, you know, obviously the, the world changed in March when COVID hit and, you know, the night the NBA kind of suspended their season and, and everything that happened, you know, through that. Um, while I can't take any credit for this because I wasn't yet at DRL, um, the folks at DRL very quickly said, okay, what, what can we do? Um, you know, how can we continue our sport amidst all of this? And, you know, as a league that kind of blends both the, the, the real and the digital, they very quickly put together, um, you know, an esports property, an esports tournament, um, and, and stood up uh, the FanDuel DRL Sim Racing Cup, which basically brought the top pilots together for eight weeks to compete in an esport version um, of drone racing. And, you know, we have a, what we call the DRL sim, which is a, a simulated version of drone racing. And it's, you know, one-to-one -one with um, kind of the real experience. So it's, you know, with the physics and the telemetry, it, it is um, as close as you can get to in real life racing. And it's actually what our pilots train on, um, when they're, you know, preparing to be, you know, a professional drone racing pilot. Um, and so we were able to kind of stand up this tournament, obviously find a great partner like FanDuel, work with, you know, broadcast partners on NBC and NBC Sportsnet, and, and basically create something from scratch and, and get it to our fans, you know, within a number of weeks. Um, and that's not easy to do. And it's certainly not easy to do um, for more mature sports leagues that have, you know, a lot of different cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, and, you know, players associations and um, teams and leagues and, and various, you know, broadcast agreements that might make it more challenging. And so I think for us, that is an advantage, right? It's, it is COVID is a challenging time for anyone, any sports property. Um, but we have, you know, we can be a little bit more nimble um, and adjust to this landscape because we're a, a younger property. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if like when I'm hearing you talk about it, it's almost as a startup vibe, right? Like you're, you have the ability to adjust and to do what's right for the property to keep it growing. And I think obviously you're going to lean on the broadcast partners, like you said, with NBC um, and Twitter. So I think, you know, from my perspective, this is a sponsorship podcast. We haven't really touched much of that yet, but from a corporate standpoint, you know, how do you take advantage of the momentum that you're building with the property and your team's building um, to bring on new partners and like, is there a reason they're aligning with the DRL or what's, what's your pitch when you talk to potential partners? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the reason starts with the audience, right? It's, it's what I mentioned before. We are, we are engaging with an audience that is largely untapped by many of the major sports that are out there right now. Um, we're also doing it in a family friendly way. So we're, you know, there's not as much concern with, um, any violence or rating or anything like that, that, you know, may be an issue for um, certain brands. Mm -hmm. You know, I think from, from an asset standpoint, you know, we also have the advantage that we control the entire ecosystem. So, you know, DRL has invented this sport, invented all of the technology, invented all the production capabilities. And so when we talk to, you know, particularly technology companies that are looking to showcase a technology or embed a technology, 
we can literally do that within the sport. Um, and it goes beyond, you know, some of the things you see in traditional sports with just kind of signage and placements, but the ability to use different technology within the racing, to use different um, equipment within the racing um, is something that is very appealing as a showcase um, to our partners. And, you know, we're also doing a lot of, you know, custom events and, and you know, we're always on the hunt for um, what's new and different. How do we build the fastest drone ever? How do we build autonomous drones? How do we design new courses? Um, and we're working with a lot of partners that, that want to help us do that. And so I think for us, we are looking for partners to grow with us um, and that can, you know, add value to the sport itself because it's, it's a young sport um, that we think has, you know, unlimited potential. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned FanDuel earlier. You talked about your broadcast partners, but um, w- when you bring forward the portfolio of partners, uh, can can you explain to the listeners like who are some of the major partners of the DRL um, and and how they're involved with the property itself? Yeah, um, well, it definitely starts with Allianz, who is our you know title partner uh, of our championship series. Um, you know, they're a global insurance leader. They're um, a major player throughout various sports um, globally. But I think it's also a pretty endemic relationship where um, you know they offer a drone insurance product um, that obviously ties in with a lot of our fans and, and the sport itself. Um, and so they've been really an important partner really since the inception of the league and um, have really helped us grow and, and bring the sport, you know, across to, to fans all over the world. Um, you know, we also work with, you know, a property like the the U.S. Air Force. And obviously there's a, a tight connection to pilots and flying and, you know, the type of young people that want to um, learn how to fly drones and can practice flying drones and, and what that could mean for them for a career in aviation down the road. Um, and, and so those are, you know, some of the partners we're working with now, I think one of our, our big initiatives and and something that we're really focused on for 2020 is just how DRL can be sort of a conduit for STEM for young people. And I think, um, we have a technology based sport that, um, you know, beyond just the flying, the, the engineering, the, the, the coding and the programming of our, you know, our simulator and our esports series, um, there is a lot for a young person that is a fan of our sport or, or can use our sport to learn more about, you know, the sciences and technology. And, um, you know, we've launched a program called DRL Academy to build some of those tools, uh, particularly at a time when a lot of young people are um, at home or are learning virtually um, to help, you know, build that and encourage that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I guess it was in March when the DRL Academy was first unveiled. And I think you know, it's it's so important for properties to understand their role in bringing forward, um, you know, the community that they that they're in, and then how their their property plays such an important position to to supporting that. So I think it's so cool um, to kind of have the DRL give back to the people interested in aviation, aircraft technology, all the things that you're known for. But but why was it important for the property to kind of say? yeah, we've got to champion that as the DRL. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I can speak for myself and I'll probably be able to speak for Rachel when I say, you know, we grew up in in an environment at the NBA under David Stern with NBA Cares and, and every partnership we had having, you know, a, a community impact and a philanthropic piece of, of what it is. And I think, you know, 
sports plays such an important role in reaching people and being a mouthpiece for major issues. And you certainly can see that right now across sports with social justice. And, you know, for DRL, it's how, how can we make the most impact and how can we do it in the most authentic way? And, you know, we want to help make STEM cool. Um, and, you know, that's, that's really important for a lot of kids that are interested in that. And it's really, frankly, you know, not to be too dramatic about it, but it's really important for the world, right? For people to focus in these areas and, and what it kind of means for um, society in general. So, um, you know, I think it, it's an authentic fit. It's, you know, what we've started is certainly just scratching the surface and, you know, we're planning to do more with DRL Academy and, and hopefully we'll have more to announce in the coming months. But, um, you know, it's an area of major importance for our league and how we can affect, you know, our fan base and, and you know, people that are interested in STEM overall. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess the one thing that's really stuck out to me about the year 2020 um, as it relates to the sports business is that a lot of properties have a platform to support change, right? And whether that be through education, through STEM, um, through uh, supporting racial equality messages. Um, the more properties that we see doing these initiatives, I think the better off you know fans are, but then the communities that surround them are. So that's awesome. Um, you know what? The World Championship is coming up in, what, three weeks, two weeks around there? Um, can you explain to us you know, what we can expect from the World Championship and, and why we should tune in for that? Yeah, I don't want to divulge too much because we have some big announcements coming about our season and and, and some other things that are um, coming along board with them. And we'll be launching an all new marketing campaign in the coming weeks. But, you know, I'll, I'll say that we will be racing. Um, we will be bringing, you know, the best pilots in the world to, um, you know, deliver these experiences to our fans. And, you know, we'll be on on broadcast and on Twitter. And so we're excited to be back and racing. Um, so stay tuned for some more messaging uh, around what you can expect. Excited to to see when it all launches and comes together. Um, so this is your first week. It seems like, um, you know, a new CMO is starting as well, as well as a new head of international. So a lot of new thinking coming into the organization, which is always a great thing. Um, have you had a chance to connect with your new colleagues? And you mentioned a new marketing campaign that will come up. Um, you know, are you excited about this opportunity? Cause I feel like this gives a platform to bring forward new thinking, creativity, and all the stuff that probably excites us as marketers and, and salespeople. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, part of what drew me to, you know, come on, come on board to DRL and to take this role was the energy and enthusiasm that I could feel from everyone I spoke to. Um, and, and really, from kind of a, a, particularly from the group that kind of was there from the inception of the league, talking about what they've built, how far they've come. I mean, to to literally invent a sport, um, invent all this technology, invent a new way of, of broadcasting um, and, and producing a sport like this blows me away um, that they've done it. And, and the fact that I kind of have the privilege to help be part of the team to, to continue that growth um, has been amazing. So, yeah, I'm a week in, but um, the enthusiasm that I can feel from the group, the the kind of say yes attitude, um, and yeah, I think you mentioned before, Avish, the the kind of startup mentality 
um, of, you know, this is, this is just the beginning. And, you know, you think about the NFL is a hundred years old and, you know, the NBA is about to be 75 and, you know, baseball goes back to the 1800s. I mean, DRL is five years old. And so, you know, it's, we're excited about what, you know, our fifth birthday means, but I think we're more excited about what 10 and 15 and 20 and, and what this can be um, in the future, especially, especially for that kind of Gen Z market um, that, you know, that loves a lot of, of what we're bringing to the table. Um, to answer your question about connecting with colleagues, um, you know, it's a lot of Zoom calls. It's um, a lot of Slack and, uh, you know, shared calendars and documents and, and all of those things. Um, you know, I think the last six months has probably taught all of us that the technology is there. Um, I say that my Wi-Fi will probably cut out right when I say that. But, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the tech is there and, and kudos to, you know, the, the brilliant minds that built all this technology before we even really knew we needed it. Um, but I think, you know, we, we can find ways to collaborate, but I do think you have to be deliberate about making the personal connections, right? It, what, what, what you miss is that conversation, you know, at the proverbial water cooler, or, you know, grabbing coffee with someone or, you know, in my experience, you really get to know someone on, you know, the second beer while your flight's delayed at the airport and, and things like that. And so, um, you know, one weekend, I haven't, I haven't had all those opportunities, but I, you know, I know they'll be there. And I think, um, you know, being focused on that and, and making sure you're getting to know people, right. Not just, you know, their role or what they do for the company, but getting to know people, um, is as important as ever right now. Yeah. And I, and I do feel like, um, we, we miss those personal experiences. They will come at a, at a time, um, when we're all ready, but I think, you know, even what we've learned is that community and those personal relationships can all be flourished through technology as well. Um, so even things like this on on the podcast, virtually, you know, we were able to do this, but um, obviously we'd love to do it in person, but maybe down the road. But I think, you know, the fact that we can do it, it's, it's, it's incredible. And uh, we're excited to, to kind of close it off here. So firstly, thank you. Thank you for doing this. I, I've got one last question. And, and generally we use these opportunities as a way to give back to young professionals coming up in the industry. So, you know, taking the knowledge you have in one week at the DRL <laughs> and then your career in the NFL and the NBA and, and throughout your um, career so far, what kind of career advice can you leave people with uh, as they explore potential sales roles, sports marketing roles, anything for someone that's inspiring to work in, in your field? Um, you know, what kind of advice can you give them? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and first off, I'll, I'll give a shout out to my old NBA colleague, Leah McNabb, who I heard her answer on one of your previous pods. Um, I, I believe she said, be interesting. And I love that answer. It's, you know, it's, it's intuitive, but it's important. Um, I, you know, I think I told the story about my career getting started and being one of, you know, 10,000 you know, dudes in suits outside of Madison Square Garden. I don't think that dynamic has changed very much in, you know, in the last 15 years. I think, um, frankly, because of COVID, e even more so, supply and demand ratio is a bit off right now in, in the sports industry, right? There are way more people that want, especially young people that want to work in sports than there are, um, you know, roles that make sense. Um, and so the need to stand out is as important as ever. And, you know, I, 
particularly with, you know, Tulane students and, you know, people, um, you know, in my network that I'm introduced to, I, I try my best to take time and um, give them advice or connect with them. And what I always say is find a way to stand out because, you know, you need to differentiate yourself because I might talk to 10 other aspiring sports professionals this week, uh, maybe more like this month. I can't say I do 10 a week, but, um, and, and it will be hard for me to remember something unique about each one. So I'll give you a really quick story, but I, I was speaking to a young woman right at the beginning of COVID who um, had, you know, one of her internships had been canceled and, you know, we literally spoke for about 10 minutes and she said, you know, what can I do to stand out? And I said, I, I don't know, like, what about like a newsletter or something that like you can send around to people that will provide value and they'll know you as the person that writes the newsletter, not, you know, another candidate looking for a job. And I swear in this 10 minute conversation, I never thought I would hear from this you know, woman again. And two weeks later, you know, volume one of her newsletter popped up in my inbox. And, you know, every two weeks from there on out, um, she's been sending it around. And so um, that kind of attitude, right, that kind of taking initiative, um, you know, if you want to be a writer, start writing. If you want to be a content creator, start creating content. Like there's amazing tools that are out there. So, you know, instead of an email that says, you know, I'd like to be a journalist at your, you know, website, start writing pieces and say, what do you think of this? Because I think people will respond better to um, action than inaction anytime. Yeah. And you know what I think so interesting is that we live in a time where everybody has a voice, right? You can build a platform to, to spread the knowledge that you have, the passion that you have, and to build those projects yourself. Um, so I think you know, it's great advice in terms of being interesting, um, not being afraid to go through a non-conventional process, because that's what's really going to stick out um, when you do go through the resumes at the end of the day. So great advice to leave us off with. I, I appreciate you coming on the show. And at the end of the day, I'm excited to see what's next for the DRL and the announcements to come in the next few months. Well, thank you for having me. And yeah, I look forward to meeting you in person and maybe having two beers in an airport at some point in the future. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Ari, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and at the Sponsorship Space on LinkedIn and join our community if you're interested in learning more. Thanks and have a great day.